Modern life is crazy busy. Power your midlife energy with all-natural Bossa Bars Menopause Energy Bars. Delicious, keto, and intermittent fasting-friendly. These bars help women manage weight and energy during all stages of the pause. Try them at bossabars.com. That's B-O-S-S-A bars.com and save 10% with code KD10. Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women who are unafraid to age out loud. Beauties, we are in the home stretch of 2022. Can I get an amen? There is something about crawling across the finish line of the year that is equal parts victorious and confounding. Where did the months go? Why didn't I do the thing? Is it possible that my December to-do list looks exactly like my October to-do list? Did I not do all of those important to-do list things in October? No, no, I did not. But here's the good news. All those holiday gifts that you haven't bought yet, I've got you covered. You are about to gift everyone on your list, and I mean everyone, your sister, your girlfriend, your work wife, your college bestie, a hilarious gem of a book written by my guest today, award-winning humor writer, Wendy Ahrens. Wendy writes for places like McSweeney's, Scary Mommy, The Wall Street Journal, and The New Yorker. And lucky us, she brings her sharp wit and comedic voice to the frustrations, indignities, and comedy of being a midlife woman in her latest book. I'm wearing tunics now on growing older, better, and a hell of a lot louder. If you are generation graduated high school in a gunny sacks dress, and now find yourself firmly in your tunic years, stick around. This show is for you. Welcome, Wendy. Thank you, and thank you for that uh, great plug for the book. I feel like I should send you a commission at some point. Well, I uh, I absolutely adore this book. I love um, I love to read. I love to be connected to to books that make me feel seen. Uh, I'm a librarian's daughter. Also, I was raised on books. I'm a super book nerd. Uh, I used to read at middle school sleepovers. That's you know. That's how much of a book nerd I was. But I I sat down and started this book just like I do with so many books that I read for the show. I have a little thing of post-it notes and I stick them on pages that I want to remember things and go back to and and talk about on the show. And with your book, I had to abandon all the post-its because I realized I was tabbing every page of the book and I I absolutely loved it. So it's really a thrill to have you join me today to talk about it. Uh, And I'd love to ask you to start with some stage setting. What made you decide to sit down and write Tunics? That is a good question. And I hadn't really thought about it until I started to be asked this question. Uh, Because I think when you're kind of an ordinary person and have had an ordinary life like I have, it's easy to just quash your thoughts of writing a book because what do I have to say? I didn't climb a mountain. I'm not, you know, inventing life-changing, life-saving medicine. I'm not doing anything like that. But I kept going back to writing humor pieces about being middle-aged because I think it's it's relatable, but also it's unexamined. And uh, the third thing about it is middle age sort of has a depressing uh, tinge about it. <laughs> um, and I wanted to sort of take that back. And I think our generation, Generation X, is probably the first generation that is more vibrant and funny and strong and self-aware of being in middle age than perhaps other generations. Not, I'm, and I'm generalizing here. 
But I wanted to write something that was relatable. And obviously it worked because you found so many things that in the book that that you felt seen about. Um, but the gunny sacks dress and the eight track tapes, all of that, it's just such a shared experience. And for whatever reason, Generation X doesn't have a lot of representation in the media or in, in the books. I mean, there are some, but I hadn't found anything that wasn't um, aspirational or inspirational or, um, you know, how to get through this time that that exists, but I hadn't found anything that was really just funny. That was also, um, witty with a satiric bent. Uh, so I'm like, well, I could do this. And I started to get good feedback on some of the short humor pieces I wrote and, um, then decided to just expand it into more of a book. Um, I didn't plan on the book being such a personal story because I don't like to write about myself on that level, but it's hard to separate um, the two. So the book starts with talking about how I'm uh, crying on my 30, 30th birthday and then sort of culminates when I'm on the steps of the Texas State Capitol at age 50. So there's a definite arc. And I think we all have that arc, even if we're not aware of it. Um, and just sitting down and, and taking the long view, you're like, oh, yeah, I have done a hell of a lot by this age. Even if it didn't seem remarkable, it kind of is. You, you write about, um, you just mentioned that, that you were upset for the first time, that you were crying when you turned 30, right? Now, for me, you know, definitely on the north side of 50, you know, that feels so comically young. And I know that you talk about your 50th birthday in the book, so that you're, you're past that point, too. You know, has your attitude about milestone birthdays changed or, or not changed since you first had that experience of being bereft that you were as old as 30? What a dummy. Let me just say quickly, but I see all of these social media posts like um, where people are like making fun of how old they feel at 30 or how they don't stay out at the club as much anymore now that they're 30. And I just keep thinking, oh, my God, just wait. If you're feeling old at 30, oh, my God. But uh, no, I, I 50 was the first birthday party I ever threw for myself and decided just to embrace it because it is a badge of honor to get older, to be allowed to have another birthday. Because at this age, we've all we all know so many people who never got that far or who are having just awful life experiences and uh, who, you know, we all just need such a reason to celebrate. Yeah, I feel like I had that in common with you as well, because I did also throw myself a 50th birthday. Uh, my husband's like, I want to throw you a party. And I was like, nope, I'm doing it myself. Like I had a vision. Oh, awesome. Yeah, I had a vision for what I wanted to do. And I had, you know, so so many of the women in my life that I care about came for this, you know, big lunch. It turned into this epic seven hour, you know, rosé drinking situation. And um, it it just felt so special to celebrate because I, you know, I think you really put your finger on it. We've We've all lost people. We've we've had experiences where not everyone gets to be fifty, and not everyone gets to age. Um, so you you know you do have to kind of throw your arms around it and 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 feel grateful. Uh, one of the other things that I felt we had common in the book, and you you touched on it when we first started talking, this sort of this universality that comes, uh, this sort of shared experience that comes from being part of a of a certain generation. You know, which is interesting to me because in reading the book, I learned that you grew up, you know, in a house in North Dakota. I grew up mm -hmm. on the 19th floor of a New York City apartment building, right? But we have all these common touchstones, you know, the Go-Go's, rotary phones, 
the gunny sacks dresses that we already talked about. You know, we both went through our, our phase of life looking like a sister wife. Um, and I felt like I had a lot of other things in common with you. Do, do you feel that um, that sort of commonality exists for midlife women? Or is it just because we were so, you know, these things imprinted on us because we were young when we first went through them? I think kind of both. And, uh, you know, the are the generation Z and even the millennials have so many more things out there in pop culture. They're not all listening to the same radio station like we did. They don't all hear the same top 40 songs like we did. So I think that we uh, benefit from Gen X's analog and uh, we have all those shared TV shows because there weren't that many TV shows to watch. There wasn't a gazillion options out there. So we have that, um, that commonality. And also, um, you know, the, when we were teenagers, it was such a, a new thing to be a teenager. And so there, we had all of this stuff marketed towards us, like the gunny sacks and loves baby soft and all of that. So maybe that's why we have all of that in common or those shared touchstones. Uh, three women I know in Minneapolis have this amazing uh, podcast and social media account called Pop Culture Preservation Society. Oh, I follow them on Instagram. Yeah, and it's and they, my mind is blown every post they put out because I'm like, I had those Avon <laughs> decanters. I had that, and you know, and they're they're really striking a nerve because of what we both just said. Like there there wasn't a lot of options, so we all kind of shared in these things. I, I love it. It, it just... Um, no, they, they, they surface things like the lunchbox that you had in fifth grade. I'm like, wait a minute. I had that Fisher-Price pull toy when I was young. Like, <laughs> I did. I actually uh, was on their podcast last year because we all reread Flowers in the Attic together. Oh, my God. Those are my sister's favorite books. Those were... Yeah, I've read them all, of course. Fine. So we read it, reread it now as um, middle-aged people. And yeah, it was very funny. But so, it was... Are they Again, just as creepy? Just, like I, they were like, so what was creepy. it? What was it like going back <laughs> from the, the other the side? Writing, the writing is atrocious, and but but it's so funny. I mean, there's so much um, uh, unintended humor in there, but I, I loved it. Like these women that I don't really know in real life. They're in Minneapolis. We're all about the same age, and we all had the same shared experience of reading that book at such a, a young age. And it imprinting on us, you know, you mentioned flowers in the attic to anybody, um, you know, who grew up in the 60s and 70s. They're like, oh, my God, like you could sit down and have a half hour conversation with them, even if you just met. Can I admit, like at one point I wanted to be one of those kids. I, I feel like that's probably like <laughs> so creepy and odd. But I was like, this sounds exciting, you know, and then they're like <laughs> hiding away in an attic. And it was all it was all so dark and twisted. But you know, I guess when, you, when you're living like you're like kind of, you know, just boring middle school life, maybe it seemed exciting. I don't know. That's weird. I probably shouldn't admit that. I'm taking that back. Um, uh, you, know, you know, arsenic is it's a good weight loss tool. too. <laughs> Oh, my God. So, all right. Talking about things that we shouldn't admit or maybe we should admit, a lot of your book focuses on things, um, you know, that that really resonated with me as well. Kind of I I, my kids are 22, 19 and 15. And the 22 years since I've been a mom, I've been a stay at home mom at two different times, you know, as I know you went through. And I, I struggled with that sort of identity of like, how do you fit into those different circles of mothers? What kind of mother am I? The return to work, how hard that was when the first time I did it. 
And, you know, I think even though we had all this commonality when we were, you know, in these sort of impressionable you know, middle and high school years, in the middle years, a lot of people's paths diverge. You know, some people simply stay at work. Some people simply stay at home. Uh, the world, you know, maybe we leave North Dakota, we leave the 19th floor of my apartment building, and you, you start to meet other people and you realize that everyone's doing it differently and it's hard to fit in. Um, do you feel that in midlife there is this sort of coming back together or do you feel that people are still doing midlife really differently? Oh, God, that's such a great question. Um Yeah, I actually I do think people come back together in midlife because especially during the young mom phase, you're also just constantly freaked out and nervous and not sure you're doing it right. And at least in my case, always kind of comparing yourself to how others are parenting. So there's I don't want to say there's a competition, but there's just sort of this um unsettledness at least there was for me i mean i had there was for me too that's why i really connected with so many chapters in your book yeah and i and yeah and i think once you get over all of that all of that anxiety kind of goes away and you just know yourself better so i i formed deeper relationships with other women when i was past the young kid phase for sure um, because that's when I was kind of coming out of the mom fog and developing my own interests and my own opinions. And I had more free time to do that as well. Um, but yeah, it led to deeper connections with women who I wasn't hanging out with because of our kids only. So, uh, you know, the, in fact, a lot of my friends either don't have kids or I'm not even sure what their kids' names are because we don't connect on that level. And I, I love it. I mean, I I think it just is more of who you are as a human rather than just your role in life. Yeah, that's so so many of the women that I had in my life for, you know, probably 15 years were the um, parents of my kids' friends. I became my friends or or they were mm-hmm. but then you're right as the, as I as I aged and my kids sort of developed their own social life, I started meeting women that I was playing tennis with that I was playing platform tennis with. And I developed these adult-only friendships that, um, you know, I even have a really good friend. This is going to sound also insane, but I have a really good friend like who doesn't drink. And I was like, oh, my God, I met all my college friends in a bar. You know, <laughs> and I was like, you know, wow, am I a grown-up now? I have friends that just, you know, that I... I've added to my life that make them so rich that that didn't come in the, you know, my earlier ways, which was just, you know, college bars and and um, kind of play groups. So I, I you know, it, it is interesting to see how our lives become richer and maybe more. Um, I don't, I don't want to use the word authentic because I feel like authentic is so overused. But, you know, as you become more in touch with yourself and what lights you up, you're able to add people in your life that 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 light you up in, in, in this way that feels you know, more of who you are today. What do you think? Yeah, and I think uh, the midlife women, we're past the the age of gossiping about somebody behind their back or being petty about things because it's just like, move on. Like I either like you or I don't like you and I want to spend time with you or I don't. And we're not afraid to decline social invitations or um, continue being friends with somebody that just makes us unhappy. So that leads to your circle getting a little bit smaller, uh, but also stronger. Yeah, no, it's uh, clarifying. 
it's clarified. And I say in the book, um, you know, the I think the political landscape has really changed that for a lot of people too over the past few years. You you know, see maybe people believe in things and people that you don't. So, you know, we're not afraid to cut them out of our lives at this point um, because for better or worse, but that leads to your circle getting smaller still. And, you know, you're aligning yourself with people who you really connect with on a, um, a strong level of belief systems and what they're doing in the world rather than you're on the same soccer team with their kid. Yep, it's actually, I know. I, I remember the, the the phase where I was like, oh my gosh, my child made a friend that she doesn't sit next to at the lunch table, you know, where they yeah. really start to connect and they, they build their own um, relationships based on, you know, things that they, they, they truly care about rather than sort of proximity, which, which is what happens to a lot of us. Uh, I want to ask you about something, uh, a, a review that I read when I spent some time on your Amazon page, because I was doing my homework, because as I said, I'm a book nerd, but uh, I saw that New York Times bestselling author K.J. Delantonia reviewed your book, and she said, quote, it's hysterically funny, honest, and unflinching. I'm wearing tunics now is the book Nora Ephron might have written had she lived long enough to realize she couldn't give a fuck about her neck anymore. And I love that because we all, like, it made me, like, I love to imagine what would Nora Ephron think and do, you know, today. But why does it take getting to midlife to stop giving a rat's ass about things like our neck and what people think and, you know, friends by proximity? And and for many of us, this sort of insane and, and, you know, futile quest for, you know, for perfectionism that plagues people. Why does it take getting to midlife to learn these things? In the book, I talk about just getting this new confidence in your 40s. And I think that's because women, you know, were so quiet for the first part of our lives, at least I was and our generation was, that you maybe, you know, don't put your hand up or you stay quiet in the back of the room or whatever it is. And finally, you maybe either reach your life's limit of being quiet and you just don't want to take it anymore, or you just realize that you're okay without pleasing the male gaze or you know I say in the book that at a certain point the male gaze isn't even looking in your direction anyway uh, which happened to me so it's like why not just dress comfortably or why not just you know go to the grocery store wearing mismatched socks I don't care anymore <laughs> it's not that I I've lost all uh I'm I haven't lost all. You're firmly in your Eileen Fisher, uh, right? Yeah, era. but it, it's like I, I'm I'm pleasing myself for once because maybe it's we grow up and we're a good daughter and then a good wife and then a good mom. And then finally, when all that's over, you're like, I'm just going to do what I want for, for what I've wanted to do all these years. I'm not at the um not trying to please anybody anymore there seem to so, be so many more rules, honestly. Like I have a 22 year old daughter and, you know, she. She seems to, I mean, not that she's rule less, but she has like a confidence to to move through life in ways that, you know, it took me decades to develop. And I think we did have these sort of parameters, you know, it was very, uh, like you were saying that sort of to be the good girl. And, you know, if you went to Catholic school where I did, there were a ton of rules. And But we lived in an era where there was one way to hand somebody your resume. It was on like creamy, you know, cranes paper. And you would be embarrassed if your bra strap was showing. And now, like, just people wear bras as tops. You know, like, everything has changed. And there's so much, um, I think, more freedom and, and fluidity and flexibility, which is good. Um, but it's, you know, it's just, 
it's sort of interesting to think of maybe how much time you might have wasted um, uh, on things that that seem so ridiculous. A hundred percent, and I'm uh, you know very proud of the the Gen Z uh, and young or and, and millennials who have this freedom. Proud of them, also a bit jealous, you know. If I'm if I'm being honest, and I write in the book about how I worked at Warner Brothers and I had tried out for this writing program and I didn't get it, even though the guy said mine was the best one he read. And for years I thought, oh, I did something wrong. It was me. I'm not good enough, blah, blah, blah. And now when I look back, I'm like, oh, it's because he put all of his white guy friends in the program instead of me. So, you know, those are things like I wish if that happened now, I would be well aware of it. And I would definitely, as they say, speak truth to power or whatever, or go like yell at him or make an angry post about something. But that doesn't stand anymore. And back then, I think maybe we either didn't realize it or we just didn't know what to do because we were so used to just having to take the shit that was given to us. You know, even though I, I so agree with you, and even though we're better at speaking truth to power and not putting up with some of this ridiculousness, there are times when we still get um, sideswiped by, you know, sort of patriarchal nonsense and cultural messaging when we do feel bad about our necks, like Nora, right? And I'm using neck as a proxy for whatever body part, or whatever part of your new midlife persona gives you agita, right? You write some very funny chapters in this book on how can middle-aged women look good in cell phone pictures. You, you're very honest about your first foray into the world of cosmetic treatments, you know, getting to midlife gives us confidence and lived wisdom, but we also are not always fully past some of that nonsense. Why do we still fall prey to these cultural messages, even though we're so much smarter in midlife, Wendy? I know. And, that, and that's, you know, the crux of these humor pieces I wrote. It's it's satiric because it's making fun of society telling us we're supposed to look a certain way, but I also fall into that. And so I don't know. I, I'm straddling. This is all bullshit that I have to worry about my cheek fat. And, <laughs> and others, and I'm like, oh, you know, reading a dermatologist's email about how I can get rid of my cheek fat. So it's, I, you know, I, I don't like that I still fall victim to it, but I do. And, you know, I, I'm coloring my gray roots and I am still working out and I look at my stomach every day to see if it's bigger or smaller. And, you know, why do I care? But it's really hard to let go of that. Yeah, I love so much of this book is so honest and so funny. This is a, a perfect time for me to ask you to do a reading. We talked about having you share a little, because I keep saying this book is hilarious and, and, and wise and funny and warm. And I want to give our listeners a chance to hear a little bit of it. So this okay. is... Wendy, you're up. You're on deck. Okay. A few years ago, I was in New York City for a week-long family vacation. The day before we headed back home to Austin, Texas, my younger son Jack and I decided to spend the afternoon wandering around Central Park until we were caught in a sudden and heavy rainstorm. We ran over to the American Museum of Natural History and waited in the ticket line inside the huge, beautiful rotunda. We were both in a good mood, looking forward to seeing the exhibits into our Apres Museum hot dogs from the Nathan's famous cart across the street. Yes, I'm aware of what hot dogs are made of, but I don't give a shit because they are delicious. Jack and I finally approached the counter and smiled at the older woman sitting behind it. Two tickets, please, I said. But before issuing them, she glanced at us and brusquely asked, one student and one senior, 
Uh, what? My startled eyes quickly swung over to the sign on the desk that listed the admission prices. And yes, at age 15, Jack was indeed a student. But what was that other word she said? Was it senor? Did she think I was a Spanish dude? Wait, maybe she didn't say senor. Maybe, maybe that whack job said senior? Did she say senior? How the hell could she think I'm a senior? Unless they had a ridiculously low entry point for seniors? My mind raced and I frantically scanned the sign again, half expecting to see seniors 30 plus, or seniors, anyone with a single gray eyebrow hair. But then, in quiet, abject horror, I read this instead. Seniors, 60 plus. My clammy hands grasped the marble counter for support while alarm bells rang in my ears. Me? Wendy Ahrens? Born in 1967? Currently dressed like an unkempt grade schooler? A senior? Not that there's anything wrong with being a senior, of course, but I wasn't one of them. I was in my early 50s that day. A young-looking early 50s, too, I thought, and not just because I was standing near actual fucking fossils at the time. The piece of crap Allosaurus 15 feet to my left had at least 46 or 47 million years on me. And this ticket-pushing, insensitive museum jerk thought I was 60? Plus? A few choice words to snap back and reply immediately popped into my head, most of them four letters long, some of them rhyming with my damn brother trucker. But then I stared at the pricing sign one more time. Slowly, my eyebrows raised, my head tilted to the right, and a soft, huh, escaped my lips. The senior discount would save me $10. You know what you can buy with $10? Two hot dogs, maybe even crinkle fries. A tense moment of silence descended in our corner of the packed museum lobby while I wrestled with the tremendous blow to my ego versus my deep-seated love of saving a few bucks. Finally, my fugue state ended when my angry teenager hissed, Mom, just get the tickets. You're being weird. And the long line of pissed-off people waiting behind us came into focus. No, thank you. I am not a senior, I grandly declared to the museum employee, with as much condescension as a woman holding a wallet containing a Barry Manilow International Fan Club membership card was capable of. Not even close. I am a regular museum admittance person. I was definitely not alive when Kennedy was assassinated by the CIA. So good day, madame. And then I concluded the horrific episode by haughtily jamming my credit card into the machine the wrong way while it angrily beeped and my son and the ticket seller rolled their eyes. And that whole scene is middle age in a nutshell. Humbling, undignified, and insulting, but also surprisingly full of perks you didn't know were in the mix. What a rush. <laughs> oh, my gosh. So you had to go buy your own crinkle fries after you. <laughs> I did. I did. I loved this opening because I, you know, I actually, when I read it, I had a flashback to an April trip when I went away with my sister, her son, and my my youngest. And I was at the pool. I had played pickleball for the very first time because I got, you know, I was in Florida. And I think you're, you're required to do that. And I was laying on this lounger and I was getting up to get something and I bent down to get it and a young woman ran over to me and said ma'am can I help you and I was like are you kidding like I, I I can get out of this lounge chair by myself and did she just ma'am me and you have a whole chapter on that you know how 
you know, we get prepared for a lot of things in midlife. You know, some stuff we we don't know, like menopause, people don't talk about enough, but we we have a hazy idea it's coming. But literally no one prepares you for how much it stings the first time you get mammed. Well, and you are lucky because you're in New York City where it happens probably 10 years later than it does here in Texas. Um, I would think I started being mammed when I was in my late 30s. But yeah, it's it's like a slap to the face because you're like, what? I'm a miss. I'm a miss. I know. And it just it's so ridiculous and silly. Um, and, you know, I we're age positive over on this podcast. Like I there's 100 percent no way I'd whether you know, I would ever look backwards and want to be 23, 33, even 43. Like I am delighted to be 53. I feel the happiest, most confident, the most creative. Um, I'm actually in better shape now than I was when I was younger, when I was, you know, in my college days smoking cigarettes and I was in my early mom days when I was like eating mac and the cheese with the kids and not going to the gym. So like, I just feel great. And mm-hmm. I am, you know, I, I'm a big, you know, I'm like banging the drum. Like we should all be aging out loud. We shouldn't be hiding this. There's nothing to be ashamed about. It's the most natural thing in the world. Yet when I got mammed, you know, I really had to like look deep inside and say, why is this bothering me? Yeah, it's because it's what uh, what you look like in society, I guess. Somebody's judging you based on how old they think you are. Uh, and as I write in the book, men never have that happen. They're called sir their entire lives. Nobody's calling them like Captain Saggy Balls all of a sudden <laughs> because they're 50. So it's just, you know, and we have matron of honor and all of this. Oh, my so. God. Wendy, I want everyone listening to this to use the the expression Captain Saggy Balls at your next <laughs> holiday party. See, we, Everyone's got to re- work this into their conversation and report back to me on Instagram. I want to yes. hear, hear how that goes. Oh, my God. This book is full of so many gems. It was such a treat to read. I, you know, I, I saying such a treat to read actually makes me feel old right now. But it's like incredibly fun. And it's just brimming with humor. And you've got such a fantastic um, ability to observe and and to kind of, uh, you know, surface all the things that every one of the listeners right now has experienced and maybe lived through. And 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 put it out in a way that just, you know, it's one of these books that I, I always say that my husband hates when I read in bed because I'm like shaking with laughter and, you know, vibrating the covers. And it's it was such a, a such a, it was so, it was so much fun to read. I want everyone to put this on their shopping list, add to cart, you know, please go buy it at your independent bookstore, um, buy it at bookshop.org, which is an online uh, convener uh, of independent bookstores and, you know, throw it in your cart. And, you know, you could also buy it on Amazon too, but they get enough business. But wherever you buy it, you need to write a review because I've learned from all the authors that come on the show how important it is to have reviews because that's what helps, you know, move books. Wendy, we're going to be moving to the end of our show because it always goes so quickly. Uh, we're going to close with a speed round. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay, one to two word answers. Writing, I'm wearing tunics was? Oh, God. Can that work? Oh, God? Yeah. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) All right, best place to buy a tunic? J. Crew. How many tunics do you own, give or take? Oh, under 15. Wow, that's a lot. Okay. Is there a male tunic equivalent? bathrobe i'm also going i'm going to throw in cardigan cardigan sweater you know like like a grandpa cardigan sweater Mm -hmm. what else makes you feel old 
Oh, um, uh, music. Yes. Thank you. Uh, when my kids put like their music on, I'm like, I am officially 100. Uh, what makes you feel young? Laughing. Nice. Your younger self would be surprised that at midlife you are? More creative. I love it. Finally, your one word answer to complete the sentence. As I age, I feel free. Free. Beautiful. Thank you, Bundy. This was so much fun. Uh, I love this book so much. I'm going to blast it all over social media. I really do want everyone to to buy it and, and read it. I know you're going to enjoy it so much. Before we say goodbye, though, how can our listeners find you, your writing, and your other books? Oh, um, well, thank you for all of the kind words. I have a very poorly designed website at wendyarons.com. Uh, I'm also on Instagram and Twitter for now as Wendy Aarons. So that's the best way. Perfect. I'll put all of those in the show notes. This Wraps A Certain Age, a show for women who are aging without apology. And This Wraps our 2022 shows. We are taking the next two weeks off to enjoy the holidays. We'll be back the second week of January with a fantastic show to kick off the new year. Leslie Jane Seymour, the former editor of Moore Magazine, Marie Claire, and Red Book, shares ideas on reinvention and productivity because your 2023 is not going to magically be awesome, organized, and fulfilling all on its own. Special thanks to Michael Mancini, who composed and produced our theme music. See you next time. And until then, age boldly, beauties. Beauties.